Hey, it's Zach Neal. How you guys doing? So imagine if you could identify the person that made the biggest difference in your life. And then imagine if you had your own podcast that people listen to and you could do an appreciation podcast for that person. Well, that's exactly what I'm doing today. And this appreciation podcast is for a guy named Kevin Lyman, who absolutely changed my life and gave me my start in business. And I can guarantee you that I was a huge pain in his ass and probably the cause of some of his hair falling out and maybe some gray hairs and maybe even ulcer. And many times he probably didn't like me very much, but this guy is deserving of so much of my gratitude because of what he did for me. So Kevin Lyman, this is for you, my friend. So I'm driving hands-free, of course, uh, from New York City to Pennsylvania. It's pretty late at night, and then I'm picking up a friend, and I'm driving four and a half hours down to uh, Washington, D.C. to go to the Vans Warped Tour. So for those of you who are not familiar with the Vans Warped Tour, I'll give you like a 30-second recap. It's one of the longest-running music festivals in the United States. It started back in the mid-90s, and it was a festival that was dedicated to punk rock and alternative music in, in all varieties, like punk, hardcore, ska. It evolved over the years and it became, you know, as the music trends change, it evolved with the times and it broke a lot of big bands and bands like Blink-182 and Katy Perry and Eminem and a lot of people like that cut their teeth and started earlier in their career on Vans Warped Tour. Even though it was a punk rock tour, it helped break a lot of big pop stars as well. And it's just been a great thing. I started attending the tour in 1996, and it was my dream to play on that tour. I was a musician. Uh, Warp Tour was like the Super Bowl for punk rock. Back in those days, you're talking like early, early days of the internet when still half of the country didn't have internet, when you still had to go to a record store and buy cassettes. <laughs> and they had CDs too, but you know, you were still buying cassettes. Cars still came with a cassette deck. A little bit of a different time when getting your hands on punk rock music was kind of hard to begin with. A lot of it was like mail order catalog and shit like that. And the Warp Tour was like the traveling national gathering of all the cool bands that you dreamed of seeing live. And so if you were like me, if you were in a punk band, and if you're into that kind of music, playing the Warp Tour would be like being in the football team and playing the fucking Super Bowl. And so... For years, I went to the tour and attended it young. I mean, I was like 16, 17 when I started going to Warp Tour, and I'm 39 now, so that gives you an, an idea of how long this tour has been around. And um, I just dreamed of playing it. You know, that was my like career ender. If I could just play one date on the Warp Tour, and so I had attended the tour for a few years. And a couple days, I volunteered. I volunteered in catering. I volunteered to be a runner one year. I was a stage hand. I just, you know, I would go to like a couple shows when it would come through the area, like New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania kind of thing. And I would just volunteer, do anything I could do. And the man that created the tour and the man that owns the tour and ran it all these years, his name is Kevin Lyman. And, um, 
I had no idea who he was. I heard about him. He was like folklore. <laughs> he was like a mystery man. I heard about this Kevin Lyman guy. Never met him, though. Even though I had been going to the tour for probably four years at that point and even volunteered and was back in production's office, I never met the guy. I didn't even know what he looked like because there was no like website then that I could go look him up on, right? So somebody put it in my ear that if you get in front of Kevin Lyman and you ask him a favor, he like has a hard time saying no. So if I could just meet this guy, maybe... Maybe I could, you know, so long story short, the next year, it would have been 1999, uh, I got out to Warp Tour and my goal was to meet Kevin Lyman, introduce myself and try to see if I could pass him off a demo tape of my band and maybe possibly, you know, he would say yes. Well, long story short, I went to two Warp Tour dates, bought tickets, went, drove very far to get there and Kevin either wasn't available or wasn't on site and I didn't get to meet him and I was like... I was gearing up for this for like a year, like to meet Kevin Lyman. You know, I had gotten the idea the year before and I had to wait for Warped Tour to come around again and big bummer when I didn't meet him. But I was persistent and I thought next year I'm going to meet this fucking guy. I'm going to meet him and I'm going to give him my demo and he's going to say I had it all worked out in my head. So that puts us to the year 2000. I go to Warped Tour and, uh, you know, I meet Kevin Lyman, right? And it's like big, big, big deal for me. I meet him. For him, it was like probably a passing three minutes of his life that I'm sure he doesn't remember and probably doesn't give two shits about. But for me, it was a big deal. I got myself in an area that I wasn't allowed to be in back by the buses. And I kept asking people, what does Kevin Lyman look like? (laughs) People gave me a description, told me he was wearing a hat. Uh, Long story short, I found him. I got a hold of him and I threw my demo tape at him and, you know, told him a big fan of the tour and how many years I've been trying to meet him and all this stuff. And he was very nice to me. He gave me about three minutes. Uh, I could tell that he had someplace else to be. He's a busy guy, but he took my demo and he said, listen, um, we do a battle of the bands for small bands. Uh, get in touch with the Ernie Ball guys. Uh, who's Ernie Ball? You know, Ernie Ball is this company that makes guitar strings and instruments and shit. So they, I don't want to make my the history the longest part of this story. So I'm going to try to wrap the early part of this story up because that's not really what the point is. But long story short, he put me in touch with these people at Ernie Ball. Then my band entered this battle of the bands the next year and we won in three markets, which is really uh, kind of a, a feat because usually you, you can enter for, you know, like one market at a time. And I'm not even sure how it played out, but like we ended up entering in multiple markets and we won three times. We won and we played three, we got three dates on the Vans Warped Tour for 2001. And it was like a dream come true for me. And it was amazing. And then everybody on the Ernie Ball stage liked us so much that they passed us off. They couldn't add us to any more dates on the tour, but they passed us off to this other guy named Avi. And Avi had this little side stage. It was like, they called it the space station. It was like a van that looked like it came out of Star Trek. It had like fucking like gears and shifters and like space shit all over it. And they would just set up like some plywood on the ground in front of this van. It wasn't really a stage, but they would just set up some shit and bands would play. And so we went and talked to this guy with the Ernie Ball guy brought us over and said, yo, these guys are sick. You should let them play. And he was like, we need somebody to like help us build the stage every day and like get water and, you know, just do a bunch of chores and work. But if you're willing to help. So they let us play several more dates. They added us on and we went around the Northeast and got to play four or five more Warped Tour shows that year. So it was like it went from being a dream to play to getting winning a battle of the bands and playing three shows and then getting added to like three or four more and really a good experience. So the next year we came back and we tried to get on again. But this time I got a hold of Kevin Lyman's email address. 
which I became a giant festering pain in his ass, I'm sure, because I was emailing the guy like nine months in advance and harassing him for dates and harassing him for dates. And um, he told me to play the Ernie Ball battle again, but I told him we already had entered for the Ernie Ball battle of the band and we wanted to get on more legitimately. And so um, that year we won the Ernie Ball battle of the bands again, but Kevin also told us that we we could play some extra dates. He said, we can play the dates around your town. So he gave us like three or four shows. And so we played then and got in touch with Avi in the space station stage again. And he added us to more shows. So that next year, 2002, we ended up really putting it together so that we played like 10 shows on Vans Warped Tour between the Battle of the Band shows, the shows, the dates Kevin gave us, the space station. So that followed pattern the following year. 2003, it was the same thing. Kevin actually put us on a handful of shows and I think we did the Ernie Ball battle to get an extra date or two and we worked with with Avi again at the space station and kept doing it and then this really weird thing happened um Avi told me um that he wasn't going to do the stage again the next year he wasn't going to do it and that I should talk to Kevin about taking it over because I had been so helpful you know I had like me and my band had like really run helped him really run the operation that year and um, that I should ask Kevin if I could take over in his place. So picture this, it's 2004. Um, well, it's actually like the end of 2003, but like, I'm a fucking kid. I'm like 24 years old, you know? And I don't know a a damn thing about business at this point in my life. I'm a high school dropout. I'm just a musician. I'm just basically a nobody. And, uh, I'm about to go ask this guy that owns this giant multi-million dollar festival. That's the Vans Warp Tour, the fucking Super Bowl of punk rock and alternative music tours. I'm, I'm about to go straight face ask this guy if if I can have my own stage, own my own stage, and book my own bands and do whatever the fuck I want on his tour. And I'm not going to give him any money because I don't have any money. So he's just gonna, he just has to do me a big favor, just fucking let me do it, right? So I call him. I, I got his office number and I call him and I tell him, Hey Kevin, I was just talking to Avi. And, you know, he told me that he's not doing the space station stage and he recommended that I could take it over, that I could, you know, do my own stage. And initially, Kevin said, no, you can't, uh, you know, that's, well, let me talk to Avi and like, call me back. And he didn't seem to, he wasn't excited about doing this. Let's, let's put it that way. He definitely was not, was not a big fan of this idea. Um, and I don't know why. I mean, maybe I was too young. Maybe he could tell that I didn't really know what I was doing. Maybe he thought I was an idiot. Maybe he didn't like me. I I don't know why, but his initial response was pretty much no, but I was persistent and I kept pushing his buttons and I kept calling him and I followed up a day or two later and he was trying to give me the brush. Kevin, I hope that you listen to this because you definitely were trying to give me a little bit of the brush, but that's okay because if I was in his position, I think I would have given me the brush too. Anyway, with some persistence and some elbow grease, and the fact that I told him I could, I could pull this off. He asked me a lot of questions. You know, you're on your own out there. I am not going to be responsible for this. I've already got my hands full running real stages. You can have a small thing, a small platform like what the space station did. You can have only, he was only going to give me like just the dates in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And I was like, no, no, no. I want to do the East Coast. My company is going to be called, you know, uh, East Coast Indie Stage. And, and so we want it to be about the East Coast. That's where we're from. And, you know a very, very long story that could go on for an hour wrapped up into what we're in 10 minutes into this podcast. Kevin agreed with a lot of, with a lot of stipulations to let me do it. And I could tell that, well, I was very nervous, but I could tell that he was even more nervous and probably scratching his head. Like, why did I tell this kid? Yes. 
but he did. He told me yes. And that right there, that moment was the turning point of my entire life, my adult life, everything that I've accomplished today, all of my businesses, my restaurants, my clubs, my media company, my production company, everything that I've done, every major record label that I've worked for and on behalf of every consulting gig, every fucking thing that I've done in my life all became possible because of that moment because one man said yes now if you've listened to my podcast which i know hundreds and hundreds and thousands of you have then you know my story i come from a very poor family in a very small town in the middle of nowhere i have no education i'm a high school dropout that dropped out of school to go pursue being a musician i didn't make it too far in my music career early on so i was a blue collar musician i was touring the country in vans that didn't have air conditioning and really roughing it in my you know teens and early 20s it was a and nobody no fucking body ever gave me an opportunity nobody ever helped me there was no student loans there was no college there was no inheritance there was no nothing for me my parents weren't financially able to help me much with anything i was very much one of those kids that was on my own and i certainly was ambitious and went after a lot of things but nobody wanted to do me any favors. Kevin Lyman was the first person in my life that ever did me a solid and didn't ask for a goddamn thing in return. Nothing. He didn't ask for money. He asked for nothing. He just simply said yes to a kid that was ambitious and gave me an opportunity to do something. And I fucking did it. So I did it. Kevin saying yes, that was the highlight. But here's the reality. What he said yes to was me at 24 years old with no business experience, no production experience of any kind, inheriting a stage on the Vans Warped Tour, one of the biggest, most respected traveling circuses in the country. Here's the catch. Here's the rub. I've got to find a way to pay for it. Imagine trying to take out a traveling stage, equipment, a sound system, all the things you're going to need to even a physical stage. I need to buy a stage. I need to buy sound equipment. I need to have a vehicle to tow this equipment and gas money and hotels. And how am I going to feed my band and the other people that I'm going to need to do this? I am a broke, poor ass kid living in a tiny apartment. What am I going to do? Well, I know that how he does it. I've got to get sponsors. I've got to get companies that'll want to slap their brand or their logo onto what I'm doing and be a part of it and give me money. Here's the other rub. I got to call Kevin back and get approval on sponsors that I want to raise because I can't use any competing sponsors. So anybody that already sponsors Warp Tour, which is like a couple hundred fucking companies, I can't go to them for help. I can't use any of them because they're already sponsoring the tour. And I also can't use any companies that compete against any of them. So he had sneaker sponsors and headphone sponsors and energy drink sponsors and clothing sponsors. And so anything that competes, so I can't use another headphone company. I can't use another energy drink. I can't touch anything that competes with his sponsors. So that makes my world real small. Challenge accepted, Mr. Lyman. I got this. So I go out. And I raise sponsors and I go to mom and pop companies. I literally that first year I had like fucking bagel stores sponsoring, you know, for the town that we were playing in anything I could do and small sponsorships. I figured it out that that year I needed about $36,000 to do my little leg of the tour that included that I could rent an RV 
that I would haul myself, my band, and some stage helpers in one RV, which is massively uncomfortable to put like 14 people in a RV that's made for six. And I could rent a U-Haul trailer and then someone else could follow us in a car to have like, you know, some extra storage and they could sleep during the day in the RV. And if we could raise $36,000, we could do this tour. Well, again, don't want to get too long-winded on the early details, but we raised the $36,000. We raised it. Um, actually, that's not true. We raised $33,000, and the last $3,000 I applied for an American Express card, and I put it on my American Express card, which I only pay, I paid off like nine years after that. Uh, I had a revolving balance deal, and I, I finally paid it off. But long story short, I did the tour. I did a good job. We didn't cause any headaches or trouble for anybody, so I asked Kevin if I could come back and do it again. And he said, yeah. And that led into doing it for 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. So for nine years, um, I did the tour. I'm sorry, eight years. For eight years, I did a stage on the tour. I had been on the tour for over a decade between attending and performing and that stuff, but I did my stage for eight years consecutively. And Kevin's basic theme every year was keep it small, do what you did last year, don't try to get too big, I've got enough, you know, I'm always causing this guy headaches. Believe me, I'm causing this man headaches every year because I'm ambitious. If you've learned anything about me in 61 episodes of my podcast, it's that I am a very ambitious motherfucker. I go after the shit I want in life. I don't accept no for an answer, and I go balls to the wall. So I don't want to do the side rinky-dink stage. I want to do a big stage. I want to get bigger bands. I want to have a bigger production. The first year, my stage was two, like, four-by-eight platforms with a fucking, like, pop-up tent on top of it. It was so ghetto. By, you know, my last couple, you know, my last couple years... I had a 20 by 20 stage with a monster sound system being pulled by a semi truck. I had really upped my game. And each year that I upped my game and upped my ambition, I caused Kevin Lyman extra headaches and extra aggravation. And probably I got myself almost thrown off the tour a few times. Um, But just my ambition couldn't be bottled. But that guy should have kicked me off that tour in the second year because I wasn't listening. I mean, I wasn't doing anything to harm him or his tour. I was always very respectful of being there, but I absolutely wasn't listening to some of the guide rules that he gave me. Um, I raised some money through some competing sponsors a few times, flew it under the radar. Uh, I definitely overbooked my stage. He would give me eight bands a day and I'd book 14 because I can't, like him, I can't say no bands would call me and want to play and I'd have a soft spot for them or I would like the band and I would just say yes. That was probably my biggest offense was chronically overbooking my stage because I just couldn't say no and I wanted all my friends' bands to play and I did a Battle of the Band show in, in for the, the local dates where bands would go and play Battle of the Band shows and that's how I would help raise money to actually support this thing. The ticket sales from the Battle of the Bands would go for paying for the production and then bands would win and get to play shows and there's a big production. But here is the point of this whole thing. We're now about 15 minutes into this podcast and I'm going to get into the meat and potatoes of why this is important. And this is probably one of the most important podcasts I've ever done or will ever do. And that is because this man that didn't know me, didn't owe me anything, had no reason to help me other than he's a nice guy, gave me an opportunity. And I took that opportunity and I milked it for all that it was worth because he gave me that opportunity. You could imagine how that affected my life, but maybe you can't. First of all, I have no college education. I'm an eighth grade dropout. So 
running a stage like that, I would say that Warp Tour was the best business school that anybody could ever attend because you think about it, it's just doing music, but it, as the years went on, it became so much more than that. At my peak, I was running a production that had 17 people employed for the whole summer carrying a semi truck, a pickup truck, and a 15 passenger van, so a caravan of vehicles, a semi, oh, I'm sorry, a semi truck, a pickup truck, a 15 passenger van, and a tour bus right? 17 people to 20 people sometimes on full, full-time staff, stage builders, tent builders, merchandisers, tour managers. I had an accountant because we had so many financial issues because at this point we're raising 150, $200,000 $200, to fund our production. I'm paying out dozens and dozens of people and paying out between all the band members, I'm paying out probably 70 to a hundred people out. So I have to issue 1099s for all the payments. So I have to learn how to do P&Ls, taxes, accounting. I have to learn how to do books. I had to buy QuickBooks and learn how to use QuickBooks because the money became the biggest problem. At the end of the second year that I stepped up my production, I had accounting issues out the ass. I was getting audited by my state for all these independent contractors and trying to figure all this out. So I got a financial education over those next couple of years that you wouldn't believe. You're also running a full production business where you have between the bands that I was feeding and paying and my staff, I've got upwards of 40 or 50 people that I'm paying to eat, paying for hotels, paying guarantees, bus drivers, you name it. So many different people that I have to take care of. And you're running a mobile office from a tour bus. You have a little table, like a kitchenette table on your bus. And that was mobile headquarters. I had to buy mobile satellite internet so I could have my laptop set up and printers. And I have to make day sheets. And you know, I'm running my own productions office out of my bus handing out my own bracelets and passes and all access passes to literally between all my band members, like a hundred people. I'm getting 80 to a hundred passes a day that I'm giving out to all the bands that are playing and keeping track of them and who gets catering, who doesn't get catering, settling bills. I'm getting a business education while I'm running this production. I'm not, I don't even realize it, but I'm becoming a businessman, right? I had always had a knack for business. Like I've talked about selling baseball cards when I was a kid to make money and always had a knack for that kind of thing. But this is where I was getting a formal business education. And and by the way, no one's helping me. Kind of the general rule was I only would see Kevin on the first day and like run into him briefly and he'd say hello to me. And that was it. It wasn't like we were best pals. This guy didn't pay attention to me unless I was causing trouble. It would just be like, oh, okay, Zach, like you're in trouble. Come to my office, get yelled at. Otherwise, I didn't really hear from him. So I didn't have like this mentorship thing or guidance program. Kevin just kind of said yes and don't fuck up and go do your thing. So I'm doing this and I'm getting an education. I'm getting, I'm learning business skills. Now, if you think that running a regular business, we talk, this is a business podcast. So we talk about business all the time. If you think about running a regular business, right? Running a fucking restaurant, for instance, I have 15 to 25 people on staff. You got your food ordering, your alcohol ordering, your sales tax, your light, different licenses and things you need, your marketing, whatever. You're doing it all from an office, air conditioning. Imagine running a business that's bigger than that in the, in the elements. You're traveling across the country in the dead of the summer in the hottest places in the fucking world. <laughs> You're going to Texas in July. You're going to Florida, Central Florida and South Florida in July and August where it's 111 degrees outside and it's so hot that you can't even breathe and you're running on generator power and some days your bus, the generator's broken, you have no fucking air conditioning and you're stuck on it all day and you're sweating to death and 
people are sick and people are getting hurt and this guy broke his hand putting the stage together and you're running a business in the midst of all this, a mobile business, a mobile production. Oh, and you got paydays. Every Friday, everybody gets paid. And so you have to go in the back and do accounting and pay out 50 people on Friday from the back of a tour bus. So the best education that I could have ever hoped for, I tell people this as a joke, but it's the truth. And people say, did you go to college? I said, no, I went to Warp Tour University because what I learned over those eight years made me a dynamic fucking powerhouse in legitimate, normal, everyday business. Because if you can survive the Warp Tour, if you can survive living outside, driving all night, every night that you sleep, you're moving in a bus. You're Sometimes your drives are eight and 10 hours to get to the next show and you only have eight or 10 hours to get there. So if literally any fucking thing goes wrong or if you stop at Walmart for 15 minutes longer than you should have, you're late to set up the next day. If your trailer blows a tire or the stage can't make it there, you're fucked. I mean, there's so many things. If you can survive that, you can do anything. After the Warp Tour, after it was done and my time was done out there, anything that I did after that seemed easy. You would talk about some things that were like, for a normal person, would seem massively impossible. For me, they were nothing. They were so fucking easy, I would laugh because I had done the Warp Tour because I had run a company for eight years traveling around in a bus in the hottest places in the world. Literally, I had a fucking tornado touchdown and destroy my stage one year and throw it into one of the Great Lakes right in front of my eyes. Everything, all my equipment, my sound system, all my gear, everything destroyed in five minutes in Cleveland. You're, when you're living through shit like that, having problems in your normal everyday business seem like a fucking joke. It's like, oh, you think your life sucks now? Try, do, try to do everything you're doing now but with it being 110 degrees and like burning to death. Anyway, the education that I got from Warp Tour set the tone for my life. I became a concert promoter because it just made sense. I made friends with so many bands and I lived in Pennsylvania and I had some venues that I worked with in New Jersey, New York, and PA. It just made sense. I would get all the good shows year round because all of those bands would have loyalty to me from Warp Tour. I put their band on Warp Tour in the summer so they'd come play a show for me in the fall or the winter. I started making a living doing this. I became a well-known and successful concert promoter in the Northeast and Warp Tour was the crown jewel that allowed me to be successful. Because it would always, the booking agents would always go to me because they would say, yo, this guy hooks us up. He hooks our baby bands up on Warp Tour in the summer. So we're going to give him some good shows in the fall. So I made friends with so many big, important people and big, important bands. And it was only a matter of time before the record labels came calling. And they wanted to hire me to do tour consulting for them and run street teams for them. So side businesses formed and people in my crew started becoming street team marketers and we would market year round. We would do the warp tour. We would do bamboozle. We would do all the big festivals and we'd go out and do postering and flyering. And that became a thing. And then I got the attention of a good friend of mine that was, you know, an executive at Motown and he hired me as a high paid consultant to consult for Motown records. And then after that, I started my own record label and I signed motionless and white and I signed some other bands that started getting really popular. And those bands Uh, caught the attention of Warner Brothers. So Warner Brothers imprinted my label and they gave me my own imprint label through Warner Music Group. And that did really well for a time. And then I became an artist manager and I was managing all kinds of talent. And then I became a songwriter and then I was writing songs and working with some of the biggest producers in the world. And then I was writing songs for huge pop artists and major label bands. And I had songs that went to radio and songs that did well and got my name on the map. And before you knew it, I was in the music industry 110% and I was doing very well. It was my main job. I had even 
cut back on my own music career was kind of like secondary because my business got so so big that I didn't need to do you know my own band as much anymore I was working on other people's bands and so now we're about 24 minutes into this podcast and here it is Kevin Lyman today today I'm an author of a new book coming out The Nightmare Before Dinner a cookbook coming out I'm a published author I own seven businesses on two coasts. I have a reality TV show coming out. I'm doing better than I could have ever even imagined in my wildest dreams. I've got two beautiful children. One of them was conceived on the Vans Warped Tour. (laughs) True story. My oldest daughter was made on Warped. Uh, My life has become a fairy tale, something that a poor kid from the sticks in Pennsylvania could have never even imagined reaching. And all of it, all of it was made possible and stemmed from one man, your decision, Kevin Lyman, your decision to allow me, to give me a chance, to allow me to do something, to allow me to stretch my creative juices and to be ambitious and for allowing me that opportunity. All of this came because of that. The education that I got working on your tours, the experiences that I had being a part of Warp Tour, The things that I learned set the tone and made me the businessman that I am today. More so than any institution or college could have ever done for me, I learned real-life practical application to business. And when I look back over my life, I will always remember that that was the turning point. The day that Kevin Lyman gave this little poor dirtbag kid a chance to do something, and I did it, and because of that opportunity, here I am you know, uh, 10 years, 11, 12 years later and, uh, not bragging, but there's so many good things going on in my life. I mean, I, I own two restaurant franchises. Uh, I am sitting on the board of directors for a university. Uh, (laughs) I'm working on high level marketing programs for major clients and major brands. I'm working on Amber Rose slut walk and curating that right now with, with her marketing team. And, I'm doing so many things that are so far above my pay grade and so far above where I should have been in my life. And I owe so much of that gratitude to the man, to the person who, uh, who gave me an opportunity, who gave me a chance and so many others like me. If you've never met Kevin Lyman or if you know nothing about him or Warped Tour, I would encourage you to Google him and Google his track record and his work and what he's done and watch his interviews. He's someone to be admired and he's someone who did business right from the get-go he created an atmosphere of family and camaraderie and friendship and he gave everyone a fair shake and he was a uh, genuine and generous in all of his activities and he's an a-plus human being and uh, i love you kevin I-, I mean that you know uh what you did for me i could never repay with words or with a podcast but i wanted since i'm driving right now overnight to go to my last warp tour as the tour is ending this year after after 25 fucking years it's ending it's unbelievable Uh, And it's sad. Um, But since it's ending, I felt nostalgic and I felt like, you know, I wanted to take this opportunity to uh, to to do this podcast and to have this this moment. So I hope that you listen to it. I know it was long, but I hope that you can find some humor in the moments like when we stole your golf cart in Jacksonville and went partying with it or like the time that, you know, you thought I had vitamin water on the tour and freaked out on me or the time you physically kicked me in the ass and knocked me off of a scooter as I was driving through traffic in Scranton, Pennsylvania. 
so many great memories on your tour. I hope that you have at least one or two good memories of me and that I wasn't a complete hard-on the entire time you had to deal with me. I hope that you can look back over your experiences with me and feel some sort of good. But even if you can't, I want you to know that what you did for me changed my life and it made me who I am today. And more so than any person in my family or any father figure or anybody else had done for me, what you did for me allowed me to become what I am today. And I'm really, really grateful from the bottom of my heart. I I thank you so much. All right, guys, that's my story. Kevin Lyman gave me my start. You can follow me on all social media at The Real Zach Neal. DM me, talk. If you have a Kevin Lyman in your life, share your story with me. I'd love to hear it. I'm off to fucking Warp Tour. I'm going to go get sunburned and drunk and watch some great bands and see some old friends and uh, experience it. And there's still plenty of time on the tour. They still have many dates left in different parts of the country. So if you never went to the Warp Tour, now's your chance. Get your ass out there and go. Thank you, guys. Talk to you soon.